it's really hard to feel like you can move through something that feels hard, impossible, painful, lonely, if you don't feel like there's at least one other person in the world who is saying, yeah, this is hard. I see you in this. Emily Abadi here coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life. And my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today for Hurdle Moment, I am chatting with Rebecca Sofer. She's the co-founder of Modern Loss, a website offering candid content, resources, and community on loss and grief. She's also the author of the upcoming book, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. I know the topic isn't the most sexy, but talking about grief is really important. I uh, I saw a statistic that I cited in today's episode that was 57% of Americans reported experiencing a major loss over the last three years. And as Rebecca says in today's episode, that can be death, but it can also be the dissolving of relationships, whether they're platonic or something more intimate. Rebecca gets really open and shares her personal story of losing both of her parents by her mid-30s and how she came to creating a space to help individuals process their own grief as she was navigating hers. She also offers up her best practice tips for navigating grief, ranging from journaling and specific thought prompts to movement and talk therapy. And we get into the ins and outs of all of that. Really, really, I mean, this is an important conversation, like I said, and I feel as though, especially after the last couple of years and COVID, we have all gone through the thick of it in our own way, on our own time. And now it's so critical for us to have these open, honest conversations about smart ways to move forward. And as Rebecca says today, reclaim your joy because you are worthy of good things. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on socials. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. I am also recording this shortly before hopping up to Boston. So much going on this week, ranging from the live show with Puma to my sit down with Dez and Inside Tracker. Also, our hurdler run this coming Friday. I'm going to link to all of the things that you need to know in the show notes. So if you're going to be local to the area, I hope that we can cross paths. That's it for now with that. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Rebecca Sofer. She's the co-founder and CEO of Modern Loss. She's also an author. Her new book coming out, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. It's coming. How are you doing today, Rebecca? Yeah, I'm I'm here. <laughs> and I think that in fact that's that's that says a lot for human beings at this moment in in the in the pandemic. I'm here, I'm upright, I brushed my teeth this morning, so I, I think I'm doing pretty well. I think I'm doing pretty well. Well, small wins. I'm all about that approach. 
<laughs> Sometimes you got to go micro. <laughs> I'm also just really excited to have you on here today to talk about something that does come up a lot in the conversations I have on the show. And that is grief, something that you personally know a lot about, especially because it is the foundation for your community, Modern Loss. So why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about what Modern Loss is and then giving us some insight into your journey to building Modern Loss. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm such an enormous admirer of what you've built. So congratulations. Um, yeah, I'm here talking about something that I never thought that I would be talking about on a daily basis, right? Which is grief and loss and dealing with the mess and dealing with the fallout and specifically figuring out how to build resilience and live well in the face of all of it. I started something called Modern Loss more than eight years ago with my co-founder, Gabby, a good friend of mine who I met because of our personal grief stories. Um, and it wasn't my life plan. You know, this was not something that I grew up dreaming of doing. I didn't grow up thinking that one day I'd like to start a grief community uh, or publish personal essays around the experience or speak about it. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist. I ended up going to Columbia Journalism School. I worked for Stephen Colbert right afterwards. I worked for the Colbert Airport where I was a producer. And that was kind of my, my chosen path. That was my intended path. When I turned 30 and I was working in daily television, I was, you know, a single woman. I was living in New York. I felt like I was really starting to kind of start my life, really. I mean, I think that you're a New Yorker. You get it. When you're single, you're 30, you're a New Yorker. You're basically like 18 anywhere else in the country, right? You're still like <laughs> building up your life. You feel like you're starting out. Um, and I really felt like I was in serious build mode. You know, I was really excited for everything that might be waiting, you know? And I also kind of thought that certain people would be around to witness anything that would happen and support me through it. And you know, uh, enjoy it with me. But my mother was killed in a car accident when I was 30. Uh, I was, again, working at this television show. I was very much focused on building up my career. And we went on a family vacation. We went camping in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. And the night that we finished that trip. My parents dropped me off at our at my apartment in New York City, and they continued on to Philadelphia, which is, that's my hometown. Less than an hour later, my mom died on the New Jersey Turnpike. There was a terrible accident. She didn't survive. My dad was in the car with her. And I went from being, I felt like almost like a girl who was, you know, sitting there thinking about going back to work the next day and thinking about whether she was going to go on a blind date with someone and, you know, worrying about things that that were legitimately, you know, big things to consider. I went from being that person to two seconds later, wondering how I was going to get through anything ever again without the woman who had been the foundation of my life. And we were very, very close. I mean, she was my best friend. And by the way, people lose people all the time who are not their best friends and are still as foundationally altered because of that loss. Um, it's just in my particular case, we were really close. I'm an only child between my parents. And 
I just was kind of ejected into the after from one second to the next. Um, and so modern loss was born out of the experience of everything changing in my life of me realizing very quickly how isolating the grief experience can be even when you're you know in a room of people who are laughing which was my my job was to go in and work at a comedy show and it can be so incredibly isolating even when you're surrounded by people who really want to help you and really care about you and are trying their best to make a difference like to provide meaningful support but I realized very quickly how we really suck at talking about this stuff in our culture, in casual conversation. Um, and it's just not something that we do any favors for each other over because we keep promoting the stigma that is, you know, grief is something we shouldn't talk about or it should be better after a year or it should be fixable or eased with platitudes. And, you know, I was just out there, a grieving daughter, going to work every day, figuring out how to build my life while also navigate deep loss. And modern loss really came out of that feeling of isolation, of wanting to kind of normalize a conversation. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that with me and the community. And I'm sure there are so many people listening to this right now that can really relate to the struggle that goes hand in hand with navigating such a traumatic event associated with so much grief. Give us an idea of what the weeks, months, maybe years that followed really looked like for you when it came to navigating and understanding how to move forward with your grief. Yeah, well, I think that I had lost people before my mom died, but they were not my my grandfather died um, and I loved him. I was 11. He had been sick for a very long time, so I never really knew him when he was well. My mom dying was a real jolt to me. And I think that the first year, for the most part, I was in such an enormous state of shock and trauma because of the way in which she died as well. Um, you know, there were no anticipated goodbyes. There were no, you know, there was no space for like, tell me everything I need to know about being an adult. Like before you go, like, tell me where the money is. Tell me what, you know, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like just getting all the answers to mostly just like emotional things that I, I would have really hoped that she could guide me through as I moved through adulthood, as I moved up in my career, as I maybe got a partner or had kids and got a mortgage and got a dog. Um, and it was really hard for me that first year because the shock really paralyzed me and I was very numb. Uh, I could not listen to music for the better part of a calendar year, which to me, you know, for me is actually crazy because I played violin for 16 years and I always have music on. Like I'm always dancing. I'm always listening to music. I love, you know, stimulation. I love being around people who are telling stories and laughing and connecting. And it, so much of it felt like, um, almost like abrasive to my senses for so long. Uh, and so I would say that, yeah, I, I was numb for most of the year, I kind of went through the motions. I tried to fill any white space that existed in terms of free time or silence with um, things to do, 
you know, I traveled a lot. I was working for a TV show that went on hiatus like 11 weeks of the year. So, I mean, I went everywhere. I literally, I went to Venezuela. I went to Spain. I went to South Africa for two weeks. Like I, I really went everywhere. I love traveling. So it was, you know, it was actually really wonderful for me. But at the same time, I was clearly trying to escape the things, all the things. Um, after the first year, I would say that things felt worse. And that's where kind of the joke felt like it was on me. Like everybody would put their hand on my shoulder and say, it takes a year, it gets better. Like they kind of suggested that it was this linear process uh, that you just had to hang on, right? And 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 just like hang on, like go through all the rungs and they, they would get slightly more manageable. And in my experience now, as I have like hindsight, they do get more manageable and then they get less manageable because this isn't a linear process. This is like two steps forward, a thousand steps back and vice versa. And so year two for me was even harder because that's when like the permanence of it really hit me. Like, oh, like it's not just one Mother's Day that I can pretend that she's not here. Like, it's not just one Mother's Day that I'm just going to, like, go to the Jersey Shore and pretend that, you know, um, I can't go to Philly. It's every Mother's Day for the rest of time. Or it's not just every Hanukkah or New Year's or any or Tuesday night. It's it's forever. It's a forever thing. And for me, that was really, really intense. And that's why I say that year, year two was harder. The kicker, which is not a short kicker, but germane to this conversation in my story is that my dad died four years after my mom died from a heart attack. So I was 30 when my mom died, 34 when my dad died. And, you know, if there's anything to send you reeling, it's that. Yeah, I can't. The multiple losses in such a short amount of time, I can totally understand why you use the word reeling. I'm sure it was extremely traumatic. And like I said earlier, so many people listening to this can really relate. Uh, I read a study that said that 50% of Americans have experienced a major loss within the last three years. And 32% of those were the loss of a family member or close friend. So literally everywhere you go on the street, no matter where you are, look around and there are people grieving everywhere. So I am sure that your experience, as we're about to get into, really informed the way that you moved forward. Talk to us about first starting modern loss. Yeah. And by the way, I I kind of want to commend you on realizing this stuff because, you know, I think that we're we're in year three of COVID, right? So I think that we're all highly aware that grief is everywhere. It's permeating everything right now. I mean, you can't open your newsfeed without seeing something really tragic, be it what's going on in Ukraine. We're about to hit the million death mark in the United States from COVID alone. We're in a grief pandemic. Um, but when I started Modern Loss, I always said that I wished that I could put a microchip into someone's brain just for like two seconds so that they could feel what I felt. And I didn't want them to suffer. 
I just was so exhausted of trying to explain how I was feeling. And then I was even more exhausted trying to go out of my way to seem totally fine because most people made it clear that like they didn't really want to know the answer to how are you when, and especially when it was like, how are you? I was like, ah, oh, this person doesn't want to know. <laughs> they just like, they don't know what else to say. So they're just asking. They don't want to know the real answer. And I appreciated the, the concern. Like I, a lot of this was offered like, you know, people care. I, I still shockingly believe in the inherent good of, of humanity. But the reason I started Modern Loss with Gabby is because I got so sick of feeling like the conversation about grief and loss and the long arc of it all had to be kind of like othered. It had to be siloed into something that was like at a therapist's office or maybe, you know, in your religious circle of choice or, you know, with like two close friends who were the safe friends. And I was like, God, I mean, I'm 30 years old. I spend 10 hours a day at work with really cool people. I go home and I crash at night. And then I have like a few hours of social time during the weekends. Like why can't this is folded? Grief is folded into my every single day. Like it doesn't respect working hours. It doesn't like start at the end of the business day and end at nine in the morning the next day. It's every grief is all. It's how I'm looking at the world. It's how I'm maybe choosing my next career step. It's how I might decide who I want to date or if I want to have kids or what financial decisions I want to make or how I'm feeling physically. And I realized like, really, when you're living with loss, that can mean everything. That loss really does foundationally alter your life and it can affect everything. And I just wanted to feel like I could talk about whatever I was going through, like, you know, a hard anniversary or just like how I was feeling extra sensitive after a conversation at work, maybe about like a creative project that made me feel extra sensitive because I was feeling very sad that day or having, a, you know, a feeling of a bit of trauma like PTSD. Um, I wanted to feel like I could bring that up without feeling like the record had to come to a scratching halt and that it had to just like just be a grief conversation. I was still a person who loved laughing, who wanted to live a great life, who loved her friends, who loved a good joke. Like I I loved music. I loved all those things. I also was living with loss. And so I just wanted to feel like I could talk about that stuff in the same breath as I was talking about all the other stuff. And it didn't have to be something that like, you know, all of a sudden you heard crickets. So Modern Lust really came out of that because um, Gabby and I were really tired of what had existed up until that point, which we were finding. We were like desperately looking for fora and communities to kind of storytell. And we found a lot of religious conversations. We found a lot of clinical conversations, you know, like, you know, I'm sure we all know the DSM-5, you know, I would like self-diagnose and go down the rabbit hole late at night. And I thought something was so wrong with me. And then eventually I figured out that there was literally nothing wrong with me other than that I was grieving, you know? And so we came up with modern loss as a way to fill the void that existed in like communal, very casual, let it all hang out conversation in peer to peer support in stuff that wasn't anchored within platitudes or the pressure to fix something, you know, or assure someone that it takes a year or that it gets better or they're in a better place. We just wanted to create a space for storytelling um, and especially a place for people to show 
and not tell people of examples of what loss looked like and what resilience looked like. Because this is a very life-affirming thing that we wanted to do. This is not like a death project. To me, modern loss is very much a life-affirming thing. It's very much about helping people to live well, but giving them examples instead of just like giving them directives. Right. Yeah. There's so much more out there for you. Let's come together to talk about this that we can help one another move forward in a productive and helpful way. I was so interested in what you said before, and I would co-sign it for the most part, the idea of someone asking, how are you? And that person not knowing what to do with an honest answer to that question. I feel as though in today's society, navigating grief can be, as you said, such an uncomfortable situation that we do almost everything we can to stray away for when these topics would arise. So kudos to you for creating this community space where it can be a little bit more normalized to have these conversations in what feels like a safe space without that judgment and without some of that paralysis that otherwise comes hand in hand with this. Now, I think what would be really helpful here is for those individuals that are dealing with grief on their own terms, regardless of how long they have been grieving, there are some helpful suggestions, recommendations that you can make for them to help them on their journey. So where do we even start when it comes to trying to figure out how to navigate grief? Look, and I, and I want to say in response to what you just said is like, you know, some of the conversations that existed before modern loss came into the mix do help people. And some of them actually help me. They just don't all only help me. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't all, oh, sorry, let me say that again. Not one of them is the only thing that I go to, you know, um, I just really felt like I needed a space and Gabby needed a space for people to be able to go and fly whatever flag they needed to fly as long as they weren't hurting themselves or anybody else. You know, like really wanted this safe, warm, conversational space. We use a lot of humor, not because we're being disrespectful, but because grief is really messy. <laughs> and sometimes you have to laugh about it because it's totally ludicrous. And also loss is a forever thing. So if you can't find moments of joy and laughter and levity, what do you have, you know, as you move through life? You have every reason to feel like you have a community of people who are giving you an ongoing invitation to say whatever you need to say. Um, and I also believe that, yes, kudos to me, kudos to Gabby, but also, you know, selfishly, we were just getting really tired of feeling like we had to put on all of these facades mm -hmm. to the world saying, you know, it's totally fine. We don't have to talk about anything like to do something like this, to launch this project felt like more of an exhale and more of a relief than to keep on spinning our wheels and pretending like all this stuff wasn't going on underneath the surface. Because, you know, what I have come to learn is that there is, and this is one of my first, you know, specific points for your listeners is that there really is no healing without acknowledgement. It's really hard to feel like you can move through something that feels hard, impossible, painful, lonely, if you don't feel like there's at least one other person in the world who is saying, yeah, this is hard. I see you in this. 
and not trying to fix it for you and not try, and not trying to, to, you know, brush it aside or say it'll get better. But you know what? This is a hard thing you're dealing with. And I think that that is like the very first thing that I would tell anybody who's who is grieving right now. And it's so many of us is and, and grief, you know, it could be grief from the loss of a marriage, from the loss of a friendship, like grief. You know, I modern loss is mostly grief as it stems from a death loss. But feelings of grief are very similar. You can find these threads in so many different life experiences. Um, and so just think about the last time you maybe worked really hard on a project at work and you sent it to your manager and maybe they weren't so appreciative of the fact that you worked all weekend and you gave up all this time and you'll, you know, you're just like running yourself into the ground and you did this and they were like, okay, thanks. How did that make you feel? Right. So it just feels like even that much worse if we don't feel seen and acknowledged and appreciated in what we're actually going through when it comes to grief. I am a big believer in the right grief therapy. I truly believe, you know, I'm, I'm, look, we're chatting. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Upper West Side, <laughs> New York Jewess. So clearly I, I, I believe in therapy. Um, <laughs> but I also believe, especially for grief therapy, I feel like it's so important to find somebody who has not only a vested interest, like a personal interest, but a professional interest and the professional training to give you a dedicated place to talk about your grief and a place that's really safe, that is, is removed from anybody else who might have biases, like maybe another family member or a friend, if you're grieving the same friend, like you really need to give yourself the gift of your own dedicated space to explore whatever you're going through and have somebody who is trained to give you things that you can try out that may help you. And if they don't, then suggest something else. And so I just want to start by saying, huge believer in formal therapy. Um, that said, I don't think it's the only thing. Uh, I think that when it comes to grief, you know, there's no like, you know, here's the solution. Like there, there's a, my book is called the modern loss handbook. There's a reason it's like 230 pages long, because there's a lot of stuff that you should be trying. And I think that the key when you're faced with a loss that feels so notable to you, and if it feels notable to you, then it is. It's a big one. Um, I don't care who it is that you lost. Then you really need to figure out a way to stay connected with your person. I think that's really important. I think that people forget that just because somebody died, it doesn't mean that you don't still have a relationship with them. I still very much have a relationship with my mom. She's just not alive. I mean, it sucks. I wish she were alive. It would be a lot more enjoyable for me. I, I can't pretend that like, oh, it's, it's great now. Um, I wish she were here every day. But I have figured out ways to stay connected to her, especially as I move through life and my life shifts you know, and I got married and I had kids. And when I lost her, I didn't have any of that. So I view her differently with each passing year. And in a way, it's very rich for me. It's like getting to know her in a different way because I'm like relating to her in a different way. Um, so I think that figuring out how to stay connected with your person through like memory, through creating really meaningful and creative rituals that make you feel connected to them, like figuring out ways to get through 
the big days, like the death anniversaries and the, you know, I call them anniversary season, which is everybody, everyone knows what I'm talking about who has this. There's always this like insulting stretch of the calendar where it seems like all the important dates happen at once, right? Like it's someone died, someone was diagnosed, and then it's like all the holidays, and then it's like your birthday, and then it's like Arbor Day, and some, somehow that feels really hard too. So like, you know, like there, you, you need to figure out ways to kind of like, as time moves on, harness these days and either just like let the day be the day and kind of move through it somehow, or like try and craft it into something that feels like meaningful to you instead of just like suffering through it because you don't deserve that. And I think that you really need to figure out ways to stay connected with yourself, not just with your person. Because like I was saying beforehand, Grief is like an all-encompassing thing. It takes charge of our physicality, of our anatomy. In the first like six months alone after losing my mom, I got like a brain MRI because I I had vertigo. I had stomach issues. I couldn't sleep a full night for months and months and months. Like grief just like took hold of me. Like I was like this marionette that it was yanking around the room. And I did not realize that it was grief. Like that is how ignorant I was. And that is also how abnormalized the conversation was that not even one doctor was like, well, you know, your mom just died in a really bad car accident. It it could be that you're just having a hard time. It, it, it Not even one doctor said that to me. So figuring out ways to like, you know, what do you need for you that like, you know, in terms of therapy in terms of your mind, your body, like what coping mechanisms make your body feel better? You know, is it physical? Like I know you're a runner, right? Um, is it, is it running a marathon? Is it just running? If you're not a runner, then please, by all means, do not make yourself do like team in training in someone's memory just because they were a runner and died from leukemia, you know, figure out what works for you. Um, is it some other physical activity? Is it like mindfulness? Is it doing more nature therapy? Is it art? therapy. There's so many amazing things that you can do. Figuring those out, and chances are it's a lot of those things all together. Um, and then the third thing that you need to do, in addition to staying connected to your person, staying connected to yourself, is figure out a way to ground yourself and stay connected to the world around you. So I feel like those are like the three goals when it comes to moving through a really profound loss, because you still have to deal with your friends and deal with maybe your intimate relationships or find some or figure out ways to get through the workday and build something meaningful because you deserve it, you know, but the world just at the very least, our culture has not done a really good job of like serving up what we need and intuiting what we need when we're grieving and providing it to us. So the reality is, is that it does fall on our shoulders as the grievers to figure out how we can kind of level up and ask for what we need. It, it's, by the way, not fair. I just want to clarify, but it kind of is what it is. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, AG1 from Athletic Greens. You know, when I'm getting ready to travel, as I am <laughs> right about now, the first things that I set aside are my travel packs of AG1. AG1 is like my nutritional insurance. It's the thing that I make sure to take every single day so that I can take the best care of my body. It's got 75 whole food sourced ingredients as well as prebiotics 
probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. It's got everything I need to harness my energy, get moving, and feel good while I'm on the go. Plus, I love the way it tastes. It has the right amount of sweetness. It doesn't taste like grassy like other greens powders that I've had in the past. And I find it super refreshing. Of course, you know this because AG1 from Athletic Greens is a token sponsor on the show. You know I have a deal for you. It is five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. Feel free to share it with a friend. Health for all. Also want to give some love to my friends at Inside Tracker. I mentioned a live show that we are hosting this weekend. I'm sitting down with legend Des Linden. She's been on the show twice before. So excited for this and so grateful for the support of Inside Tracker. Now, if you don't know what Inside Tracker is, well, let me tell you. Inside Tracker combines cutting edge research in blood biometrics and genetic testing with game like personal goal setting, complete with achievement badges to help you figure out what your body is inclined to do and maximize your body's functionality. Through their patented analysis of your blood, DNA, and lifestyle, they create a one of a kind science backed action plan to help you reach your potential for better than ever performance and a longer, healthier life. I'm now on my third round of inside tracker testing, and it has been really, really interesting to see how my biomarkers have changed over time. When I first did my original inside tracker mobile blood draw, I learned that I was low in iron and ferritin, and then I got some really excellent suggestions of how to up that in my everyday intake. I'm now eating red meat, Once a week, I'm also eating a diet that has more spinach, some cashews, and I have noticed a difference, not just in the fact that my levels are better, but also that my energy levels are better and that this feedback is really helping me do exactly what they're saying here, level up and perform better. Now, of course, Inside Tracker has a deal for you as a hurdle sponsor. If you head on over to insidetracker.com slash hurdle, again, that is inside tracker, I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash hurdle, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store today. Again, that's insidetracker.com slash hurdle, no code necessary. So many great tips in there, starting with acknowledging what's going on, being honest with yourself about how you're feeling. I love what you said, the note of understanding that someone in your life that may be grieving, they're not necessarily at any given moment looking for your advice on how to move forward with their grief, but rather just looking for someone to hold a safe space for them. And I think that that is such a really beautiful and important point also the recommendation of seeking out a therapist and understanding that you want someone that is going to be able to hold that same space for you and come to you with an unbiased point of view. And I really, really appreciated the idea of reframing experiences or moments that maybe you had with that person and perhaps even starting new traditions. I think that that's a really beautiful opportunity is yes, you can feel some kind of way upset, frustrated, what have you about 
things needing to shift going forward. But to your point of the necessity of having to live your life, that life is going to go on. So you have it within your power to make the decision of how you do that, starting new traditions, thinking of things a different way. It can make all the difference. It can. And I want to say that like, I'm not saying that you need to figure this out like the first month after a loss, right? Like I, it took me a really long time to even find the right grief therapist. I mean, I don't think I found the right person for me, which this is inexcusable for two years, like two years. I mean, it took me so long. And then it took me a really long time to figure out my social support system. It just took me a really long time. But that's because I, I was just, I, I didn't have any roadmap whatsoever. And so many people weren't talking about this. And so what Modern Loss is trying to do is like, just put it, hang it out there. You know, like we don't have anything to be embarrassed about. Let's let it all hang out so that you can see examples of what other people are going through. And you can be exposed to other ways of thinking, ritual ideas that you might not have thought of, right? Or, or venting or, you know, hearing what other people are struggling with and, you know, seeing how they're moving through it. And maybe that's kind of going to help you as you move through your own thing. And I do want to say, like, just with a very specific thing, like when you talk about creating new rituals, you know, that is, that can be so amazing. And I, I think that we all look at holidays, right? It's like, oh, like the person is missing or their tradition is missing. And you don't necessarily have to take like Christmas or like, you know, a birthday. You don't have to, you know, say, okay, what new tradition are we going to do at Christmas? You can create your own bespoke holiday in somebody's memory. And I'll give you an example. My friend, Amanda, she's, she's great. She, we, we went to Emory together. She's one of my favorite people. Her dad died right after uh, she graduated college. His name is Dave. And I always say is because like, people's names are still their names, by the way. And she had a really hard time with his death day. I mean, who wouldn't for a long time? And she was finally like, God, man, <laughs> I would like to turn this into something that feels other than a day that I need to like muscle through somehow emotionally. And so she thought, well, my dad, you know, he really loved a good Bombay Sapphire cocktail. He really loved filet fish. And she started a holiday called the Dave John's Memorial Big Mac Day. And she sent out an email. I think it was an email or, or early Facebook days. And she was like, listen, this day in December, this is my dad's death day. And we're turning it into a holiday. And he loved this stuff. So I would love for you to go eat something decadent. Oh my God, just get whatever, like the worst possible thing is for you that you can really enjoy and just do it in my dad's name, like toast him, you know? And so as social media became more low touch and like more connected every single year, we all post photos of what we're eating. It's like some like awful crap for our bodies and it's like so good. And we say, we're like, well, it's for Dave, you know, <laughs> and it's just so amazing because we really do feel connected. Like I will never meet her dad, but I know that he was like a bon vivant who really loved like relish life and was this larger than life personality. And I honor his memory for her by doing concrete things that she can see. So like I'm witnessing her loss. She feels like people are, are witnessing this day for her, but they're also creating a community to catch her. And it's just this, 
I just love that example because, you know, I love eating Big Macs and I do it once a year. <laughs> and I do it once a year for Dave. I I really, I love that example. I think it's really, it's really beautiful. And I mean, I'm always up for an excuse to, to load up on something good like that. I also really appreciate uh, beyond the idea of just going to therapy. And thank you for sharing your experience that it took a couple of years for you because I think that's really helpful for people to hear. I also know that within the Modern Loss Handbook, there are a lot of really helpful prompts for uh, the readers to check out. So talk to us a little bit about why writing and why um, perhaps visiting some of these topics, and you could feel free to share a few of them, why that exercise can be really helpful when it comes to navigating grief. Yeah, well, so the the book it's called the Modern Loss Handbook, but there's a reason it's not called the Modern Loss Workbook, right? Which is, it's not just a book where it's like full of just prompts. It's actually heavily written, but there are a lot of sections in which you can write because I truly believe, you know, Modern Loss was founded on the tenet that storytelling is a change agent and that if you can't figure out a way to reflect on and share your own narrative, then somebody else is going to be more than happy <laughs> to like tell you what they think it should be, right? Your boss, your friends, you know, I went through so, so many months like walking into parties and thinking that like everybody was saying, oh, that's the girl with dead parents. And like, I think some of them actually did to each other, but like some of that was also in my mind. And I was very nervous to start talking about what I was going through because I felt like I didn't want to be the Debbie Downer. I didn't want to scare people away. Um, I didn't want them to think that grief was contagious, which it's not, but a lot of people think it is. And the more I realized that like nothing bad was happening if I was candid about what I was going through, if I felt like I wanted to share a memory of my mom on a given day or tell my friend like, listen, I'm having a really hard time. I really think that I need somebody to just like come and sit with me tonight and watch Grey's Anatomy and like, please don't talk, but just like be a physical presence next to me. Um, it took me a while to figure out how to do all that stuff and not feel nervous or shy or embarrassed about it. And then I realized that like, it felt so much more powerful. I felt so much more resilient. I felt so much more capable. I felt like I really was leveling up for myself during tough times when I could get to the point where I could voice my needs and maybe they wouldn't be met, but at least I was voicing them. And then I wasn't like feeling resentful that they weren't being met. And so the prompts are, they're, they're, they're very varied, you know, throughout the book, but there are a lot of exercises that help you to kind of examine where you're at with your loss. One of them is called the six word memoir, which I love this practice so much. It's basically like coming up with your story wherever you're at in six words, you know? Um, and I do these a lot at live storytelling events for modern loss. You know, some examples are, she never got to see Paris. Um, and now I'm an only child. I would say mine, one of mine is a uh, J daters don't like dead moms, you know, so it could be like as simple as sitting down and writing a list of like six words of what you're feeling or as fleshed out as, you know, the section on friendship in which I try and guide you through kind of taking stock of who is in your circle, right? 
and who are the friends who you can go to for particular things and how you can build up a network of people who really can catch you with whatever you're going through on any given day. And that does take writing and reflecting on who's in your life. It does take writing down what you might respond to somebody who says something that really hits you the wrong way. People say really dumb things to people who are grieving. It doesn't mean that the people are dumb. It just means they say dumb things. Like, I don't know one person who has ever been comforted by, you know, it takes a year or like, at least you weren't super close or at least they met your husband. Like, I, you know, or you can always get pregnant again. I mean, like the list goes on and on. These are always offered with the best intentions, but they, they ring hollow. I, I guarantee even, even things that are maybe faith-based that are offered to somebody who has a lot of faith may ring hollow because, you know, grief levels so much and it really may shake your faith for a period of time. And so, you know, there's a whole section on like figuring out writing through, like when people say certain things, like how would you like to respond to them? How would you like to say like, this isn't helpful in a way that rings true to you? How would you like to speak up for what you need? How would you like to talk to your manager about like different things that you might need regarding maybe flexible skills? schedules, time off, stuff like that. And so I, I do find writing to be an incredibly healing activity. And it doesn't have to be penning the next year of magical thinking. That's right. what I'm trying to say. I do think it's super helpful. And I also love your point. The things that may not be the most comforting, they're very rarely, if ever, delivered with the wrong intention, right? So it's just that these individuals, they don't know what could be quote unquote, the right thing to say. So uh, it's not your responsibility to educate them necessarily. But I do think that at least knowing that while you're going through these troubling times, it helps you kind of navigate forward in whatever way you have to navigate forward. Having a little bit extra compassion for yourself and how you hear these things can be super, super valuable. I do have one more question for you. And I'm, I'm really curious about this because I feel as though someone listening to this, they hear a strong woman, a mother, a wife who has truly gone through some really devastating loss and now at the forefront of this community talking about grief so regularly, do you ever feel as though perhaps the sword that you use to help others is one that you have to fall on navigating your own personal grief journey? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, such a poetic thought to ponder at 248 p.m. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I mean, look, it's a fair question. Um, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, this is absolutely not the path that I would have chosen for myself in, in life, right? Like first, I wouldn't have chosen to have two dead parents by the age of 34. That much is clear. But I never thought that I would turn like my personal grief into a mission. I, and I absolutely do not believe that everything, everybody has to turn their hard thing into a mission. I, I think that's like suggested in, the, in, in our society that like, oh, it's like you need to run a marathon in their name or you need to create a foundation. You don't have to do anything. The only thing that you need to do is figure out how to live and how to live well, because you've made a choice to stick around and you deserve to figure out how to live the best life that you can possibly live with the hand that you have been dealt. Every single person deserves that chance. It's just that in my 
crazy <laughs> reality, I did choose to turn this grief into this particular mission, mostly because, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a producer, I'm a journalist, I'm a storyteller. So like all of this stuff already kind of aligned with what I do naturally and professionally. I mean, I, I built communities, you know, this was like kind of already like a, a like a very natural thing for me to do. Um, and I understood the content. I understood what needed to be said in the conversation, um, not just because of my own experience, but because of, of the experience of so many of our community members, which are all over the world now. And so, yes, like a lot of people did say, you know, you should be careful because this might really hold you back. This might prevent you from moving through something and getting to a better place. I found quite the opposite because so many people have asked me, like, how can you, when I started Modern Loss, everybody looked at me and Gabby as though we were super morbid people. Like, why do you want to do a death project? Why do you want to talk about grief? <sighs> and I was like, have you met me? Like, I just worked at Comedy Central. <laughs> like, this isn't, a, this isn't a morbid project. This is a very life-affirming thing. I'm trying to help people feel like they can share their stories with others. And then by extension, I'm trying to help them build community with others. And then by extension, we're trying to teach others, just through really good storytelling, what it must feel like to go through something like this. And then maybe we're making it easier for the next person that goes through it because slowly we're changing how we approach a conversation in this culture. And so I feel very motivated. I feel very grateful. I feel like this was in some ways like a very selfish project that was started to answer some questions that I had about my own loss and what my own path, but ended up teaching me exponentially more than I ever thought it could. Um, and to see people connect with each other and pull each other through this darkness, stemming from some of the worst things that have ever happened in their lives, I, I, I feel incredibly lucky to go through that. And I, I do have moments where, yeah, I wish I could take a break from loss. I mean, of course I do. I'm a human person, right? And I have had a lot of hard moments over the last couple of years because the grief has been so palpable in the world. You know, it's like I've already been working in grief and now everybody, you know, it's like the first time in eight years that no one says, oh, like what you weird, what you do is kind of interesting, you know, and by interesting, they mean like, sounds kind of weird. Everybody understands why we have to be talking about this stuff out loud right now. And so it is a lot to hold. It's a lot to hold. And so I just continually have to figure out ways to treat myself kindly. I have to take my own advice, as it were, in the book and listen to my body, you know, listen to my needs and, and, and feed them. I was just going to say, I mean, this is like your last tip, right? Asking yourself, what is it that you need so that you can better show up in the day to day? And I will also add to that, that I'm so sure that your community is indebted and forever grateful for the work that you put in to creating this space and everyone that comes to the space better for having stumbled upon it. So Thank you so much for both what you do and also for sharing your tips with the hurdlers. I know, again, 
we gave that huge statistic earlier, more than 57% of Americans reported experiencing aging loss over the last three years. That stat is from the very beginning of the pandemic. So yeah. now well, I can't even- Well, do you know where even... we're at now? There's something called a bereavement multiplier, which suggests that for every person who has died from COVID, and we're kind of at hovering around the million person mark right now in this country, by the way, that number could very well be 200,000 more than that because of their, they look at like what the death rate normally is versus what it actually is. And it's actually 200,000 more than it should be. Um, and it could be from lingering symptoms or things stemming from the pandemic. For every person who dies from COVID, nine people are directly affected by that death. It could be an, a dependent, dependence. It could be a partner. It could be a business partner. It could be a friend. It could be so many people. So just do the math. I mean, this we are living with so much loss right now, and we are in a grief pandemic that is going to way outlast the viral pandemic. And we have to figure out a way to pull each other through this. We have to, because what more do we have but each other? Sorry to sound Pollyannish, but <laughs> it's true. Yeah. To finish off here, really the idea of, as you just kind of touched on, putting your own oxygen mask on so that you can make sure that you are in a good place to help other people. It starts with doing that internal audit and going from there and perhaps getting into some of those journaling prompts that we mentioned and so much more. So again, thank you so much for your help, your insight. Rebecca, how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us the info. So if you do at Modern Loss Anywhere, you'll find us on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. I'm at Rebecca, sorry, I'm at Rebecca Sofer everywhere, S-O-F-F-E-R. Modernloss.com is the publication. Everything is open and free to the public. And also, uh, I have a newsletter on Substack, which is like a monthly deep dive in which I talk to different like notable figures. You know, I've spoken with Cynthia Nixon and Stacey London. It's just been this incredible experience of kind of like doing a deep dive into grief and resilience that really kind of lets people kind of pull the curtain back into someone else's experience. Uh, and of course, now this book, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience is available wherever books are sold for pre-order and out in the world May 17th. I will make sure to link the book in the show notes. Is the Substack modernloss.substack.com? Yes, yes. Awesome. All right, I'll link that as well. Rebecca, thanks so much. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>